Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you by Reedley College, educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology, efficient production practices, and food safety. Now here's your hosts of Voices of the Valley, Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson. This is Dennis Donahue, and uh, I am uh, pleased to be back with my uh, good friend, Candace Wilson, for another episode of Voices of the Valley. Candace, good to see you. So nice to see you. How have you been? Good. It's been a while, and we've got a, uh, we like all our guests, but this is, uh, Jeff Morrison is someone uh, we know well and respect, and I'm delighted that Jeff Morrison from Grimmery Farms, who is the Director of Innovation and New Technology, is uh, joining us this morning. Jeff, how are you? Very well, thanks. Good to see you, Dennis. Candice, very happy to be here. Good. Well, you you know, we were chatting a little bit. Typically, our episodes air fairly close to when we record them. And so we were either commenting, lamenting, or completely understood. The dog days of summer are truly here right now. uh, So doing a recording and visiting with friends, not a bad idea. Absolutely. Yeah, it's peak summer here in the San Joaquin Valley. We have the hottest weeks of the year, which are also some of the busiest weeks for the farm. And a lot of the activity that we're doing now really sets us up for some of our most important harvest weeks, you know, during the holidays, that November, December timeframe. Let's pick that up a little bit, because one of the things we like to do is there are different growing regions. And, you know, typically uh, we'll talk about Salinas or we'll talk about the desert. But the Bakersfield area where you hang your hat and then kind of spread out from there is kind of also its own unique not necessarily a microclimate because as a Central Coast guy that I am, it all looks pretty hot over there. But in terms of what you're doing, I mean, when we hear Grimway, we're certainly thinking of carrots, but also talk about uh, the broad array of crops you deal with from an ag op standpoint. Sure. Yeah. So to touch on your first comment there about Bakersfield being uh, maybe a microclimate of some sort, I, I would just say it falls solidly into the San Joaquin Valley's weather pattern. And that just means it's hot. So it's an arid region for those unfamiliar the area that we or that I would consider the uh, San Joaquin Valley that we habitate is everything really south of Sacramento and uh, maybe from the Bay Area south. It's the, uh, the Inland Valley that has typically produced a lot of the uh, high value crops in California outside of the Salinas Valley. So we're producing in the San Joaquin Valley uh, what we consider two seasons a year. We have what we call a kind of a fall winter season and a spring summer season. So we're farming those margins of summer and we're really trying to dodge those hottest weeks those growing weeks in summer, it really just isn't suitable for the uh, for the vegetables, even the carrots. So our main products that we produce, we're obviously a large producer of carrots, but we're also producing about 55 plus different leafy green commodities. And we're fighting the acreage challenge like everyone else. And we're farming those uh, more temperate valleys in the peak of summer. Since the San Joaquin Valley is so hot, it, it really doesn't lend itself to leafy greens, which is why the Salinas crowd does so well up there. They've got really just tremendous growing weather in the in the summer. What percentage of what you're doing is organic? On the leafy green side, it's 100% organic. So that's all of your usual suspects, all your lettuces, kale, chard, broccoli, cauliflower, etc. We are still growing some conventional carrots. So that's still by volume, I believe it's the largest uh, segment of the carrots produced. Mm-hmm. But the organic volume of carrots continues to increase. It seems like the market is still demanding that shift towards organic. And we're, we're happy to try to produce that and meet market demand. And what percentage of the carrots are, are being processed? That's a great question. I don't, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but by volume, the, the processed baby carrot is still our single largest product. Okay. So a significant portion of the carrots are going towards that processed baby carrot. Mm-hmm. It's what most people are familiar with when you buy a sack in the marketplace and it's yeah. that small rounded baby carrot. Although we're happy to produce the fresh carrots too, which are the full size. We typically, you know, some people call them the bugs bunny carrot. Yeah, we still produce those also. 
but people like that baby carrot, that value add, you pull it out of the sack, it's ready to go. And kids love them. They go great in dip trays, et cetera. You know, as I told you, I was, I'm intrigued by your title for a couple of reasons, but talk about your career journey to the director of innovation and new technology, because you fundamentally have an ag ops background. So sure. how, did, how did you get to what you're doing today? Because I always like to, whenever your name comes up, I always like to tell people, you know, there's a short list of folks in this ag tech world who've seen everything, been everywhere, and uh, you're on that list. So talk about kind of that journey to what you're doing today, and then let's get into a little bit about uh, all those travels and sure. what you've learned and what you've caused to happen. Sure. So first off, appreciate all the kind words. I feel like I've had a good, a great opportunity to learn and interact with people across the world, but by no means do I have everything figured out. There's a lot of other people that are smarter than me that, that could probably give you greater and uh, deeper insight. But what led me to this, to where I am today, I think it really it all stems from as a youth and growing up, enjoying technical things, uh, mechanistic challenges, meaning uh, mechanical solutions to problems and trying to understand mechanical systems. That was always something that I enjoyed maybe even had a uh, had some aptitude in as a youth and that like many people can lead you to a technical degree so when i uh, went away to college i wanted to study some engineering and uh, growing up in bakersfield in the san joaquin valley you're when i was a youth you really were surrounded by the two main industries it was really oil and ag and if you were a technical person you you probably thought about engineering in one of those two areas or i mean there is obviously civil and mechanical too but but i had a great counselor at bakersfield college uh did a stint at the junior college here in bakersfield and he helped me understand that there was this thing called agricultural engineering and that you didn't have to go far to study that. You could go right over to San Luis Obispo. So after I got done with school, uh, went over to San Luis and uh, got into their ag engineering department. They have a degree in there called ag systems management, which is really just a watered down technical degree, although you can still become a licensed engineer, but it's more of a technical degree for business minded people. And I, I was always intrigued by the business process, the business cycle, uh, not just mechanical efficiency, but business efficiency how do you align processes and so forth and really achieve good outcomes with the business. So that was my educational path and came out of Cal Poly, San Luis, and talked with a few people in the Valley here in the Bakersfield area and wound up taking a job with Paramount Farms, now known as Wonderful. So I was very green, very junior, and uh, was given a, a job as project engineer in their engineering department. Uh, learned a lot, spent some time there, and then uh, came over to Grimway. And so that was, gosh, I think it's been 18 or 19 years now. So it's been a long time. But why am I doing this now? It really stems from the fact that all these organizations need technical people to help solve the problems and help onboard and identify new systems that can uh, build efficiency and help create alignment through those efficiencies across the organization. I found that pretty fun, something that I enjoyed doing and really just fell in with a great group of people at Grimway. Uh, in the early days, we did a lot of work with software. A lot of the uh, early precision farming systems were software-based, so site-specific treatment, GPS referencing, GIS, et cetera. So we built those systems, put those things in place, and uh, you know at the same time started working on harvest systems, uh, planter systems, fixed asset fleet, so tractors, equipment life cycle, etc., all those things. And you know through the years you gain exposure to the many different facets of the company. And if you can combine that deeper knowledge of how an organization functions, and if you can blend that with some technical aptitude, then you're probably in a little bit better position to help deploy some systems or help create alignment. So as a result of that, we started identifying that there was a lot of really great technology in Europe, and it became apparent that some of the headwinds that were facing uh, Western ag, specifically California, a lot of those headwinds had already, they were present in Europe prior to them becoming significant in California. And a lot of those companies in Europe had worked through navigating some of those challenges. So it made sense to try to build relationships with some of those companies. I did that. I've had a great opportunity to visit some of the uh, 
the biggest veg growers in Europe, everywhere from Spain through Germany, through France, through uh, Britain, and uh, traveled to a few other parts of the world too, so uh, Australia. And you really want to try to combine insight that others have gained through the years. And if you can, if you can learn from those things and it gives you a maybe more linear path to developing some similar solutions, or maybe even adapting some of those solutions that they've already identified. So that was a lot of it. It's a lot of fun to do that, not just because you're traveling around and seeing new things, but because you're um, really helping bridge that gap. It's the, uh, I mean, Dennis, you and I have talked about this. It's the network. It's the network of people and uh, no one person ever has a monopoly on the best ideas. And uh, the, the challenges are uniform in a sense. Everybody's trying to generate a good outcome. And if you can put some of the best people in the world together and compile ideas, you can filter out better solutions. And that's a lot of what we've tried to do. It's a challenge. There are, diff- there are significant market differences between what happens in other parts of the world and what happens here in the U.S. as far as what the consumer demands and what the uh, markets are trying to supply the consumer, et cetera. Uh, weather patterns are different too. So uh, cooling challenges in the field, those uh, all influence how you can process, harvest, uh, package uh, veg products. But that's a lot of it. I, I'd be happy to go on. Does that help uh, clarify a little bit? It, it, it does. Candice, you have something there? You look like you're ready to jump in. I'm just, I'm so curious about what some of the early priorities were in terms of um, which technologies or problems you were looking for solutions for. And what are some of the new technologies that you guys have adopted over the years sure. that you're really proud of? Sure. So over the 18 plus years now, the technology landscape has changed drastically. There are a lot of things that we could not have envisioned 20 years ago that are available now. Or So, so I'll touch on some of that. In the early days, it was really software-based, so database-driven, site-specific, et cetera. That was uh, the precision farming thing back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So how do you deploy those systems across a large organization like Grimway that is geographically diverse? The uh, demands on the company are changing rapidly, meaning that uh, we're, we're having to scale production, we're having to grow, we're having to bolt on new, new acreage and new regions. At the time, there was no canned software solution that seemed to be nimble enough to meet those requirements. So Uh, Some of those early projects really were centered on hiring developers and developing our own software. It was uh, as simple as that. So we did that and got that done. Some of those uh, early systems are really mechanical systems. How do you make planters work better? How do you make harvest work better? And that's really just thoughtful mechanical design. There's plenty of smart people that run around and they're finding ways to make things better. But I would say probably the biggest change is that if you went back 15 or 20 years, you could really develop a lot of systems in-house. And where we are now, a lot of these systems require a, a next level type of technical person. You really have AI, you've got vision systems, robotics, et cetera. That's where the future is. That's where a lot of these things are going. So it's not so much developing systems now, but finding the right partner to work with and accelerating that development. Meaning we want to participate with the best people that offer those systems. And then we want to try to integrate those systems with our operation, whether it's weeding, whether it's um, harvest efficiency and productivity, et cetera. Those are all things that are, that are really important. Jeff, talk a little about, you're prompting uh, some thoughts on my part. So 20 years ago, you didn't necessarily envision the technology. And obviously there's been kind of a maturation of all things ag tech. As you kind of look ahead, and I want, I want to talk a little bit about some of that, because you've been very good about sharing the technology with the rest of the industry, what you do and what you like and that, and that type of thing. How much is technology now in terms of solving some key problems? And I'll let you identify what you think those might be, particularly on the automation side. And how much now is cost? I mean, do we still have a ways to go on the technology side before we can get to the cost efficiency side or, you know, or is the, the technology there and now it's a matter of people working together and create some scale? How, how do you do all of that? Yeah. So that's, that's a really, really good question, Dennis. 
And I think it's the proverbial chicken versus egg dilemma in the sense that you can have you can have access to certain technology, but can you scale the technology to justify the capital or the investment? Can you scale the technology across the operation? And it's something that has to be balanced in the sense that I, I think you'll see some organizations that are going to take the approach that they want to invest in cutting edge technology. It may not necessarily generate a return in those early efforts, but but their view is that they're investing, they're building that foundation, and they're ultimately going to achieve those returns, that ROI on that investment faster. They're also going to be competent in those specialized areas. It's something that I, I my view is that I think all technology ultimately has to deliver a return. It has to be a, a benefit. You have to do better. It has to outstrip the capital cost or the OPEX cost. And in the early days when we were talking about information systems, it was uh, there's a cost to deploy an information system, but we have to make sure that that information product, that's what you're paying for, it has to outstrip that cost. You have to become operationally more, more effective or more efficient, et cetera. And it's uh, no different with mechanical systems. Uh, you can throw technology at a problem. And if you're not generating return, then it's a tough, uh, it's a tough sell. Uh, that being said, you don't want to miss the boat. You want to make sure that you're investing in areas that hold promise. And that's that insight that some have and some don't. But it's a tough thing to balance. It really is. But at the, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that there has to be return, the benefit to the business. The business process has to improve. We've heard that from so many of our guests, too. And when we've been evaluating technologies on the farm, even with the automation project and such, it's that's exactly the challenge. It all <laughs> challenge, looks right? yeah, exciting yep. and sexy. Um, right. yep. And so you get in to the nitty gritty and yeah. the, how we're all going to make money on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a there's a good overlap amongst the different participants that will help develop technology. You have, you have startups. Startups are, um, in some cases, they're really, they're placing a bet on a future technology or developing some concepts, and some of those need to be supported. They're supported through a variety of mechanisms. You can have VC support, uh, industry partner support, et cetera. You're going to have some of the uh, producers that are going to engage in that same space, uh, whether they're uh, trying to develop those technologies uh, also. But ultimately, uh, you know, there has to be a return. Uh, you could get far out on the uh, research-based end of the spectrum and maybe a UC extension, you know, maybe for those in California, it's a University of California extension, if you're not familiar. And uh, they can- Where the brightest can... people come from, Jeff? Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> but, the, uh, but yeah, you've got, we have smart people all over that are really attacking these problems and trying to find solutions. And Different people engage in different environments differently. And some people work real well in a uh, more research-based, lab-based environment. There are great insights coming from those groups too. So I, I tend to lean more towards the business side of things. I think that probably uh, is why I am where I am. I, I, I like the business side. I want I want to be part of the uh, kind of the boots on the ground where you're, you're working through concepts and generating good outcomes that are more immediately applicable. I want to have line of sight to that application. But at the same time, there's great research, good work being done in the more lab-based, more maybe even theoretical area. And it'll, it'll come from the, the development, the insight, the technology will come from a variety of participants. Jeff, talk a little bit about the work you've done, what you see, got to have a return on investment. And then all of a sudden you kind of jump in and say, okay, I like this technology for this application, you, you know, whether it's thinning, weeding, whatever it is. Now you got to bring it into the company and people got to use it. What sure. happens? Yeah. And uh, is that a, has that been a fairly smooth transition uh, as you've uh, gotten more automated? Because I, I know you are incorporating some of these products into, into your daily operations. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the technology is great. So I always characterize it this way. The technology is great, but not many systems can you just purchase, pull off the shelf, hit the go button, and it just folds into an operation. And the only way you get those things done is you have to have the right team. 
So the technology side of things, you, you can't neglect the people. The people are still extremely important. I still maintain that the team is still, is still paramount. You have to have the right people, the right focus, the right discipline, the people who are focused on, on really making the adjustments. They have an open attitude, meaning that they're going to work through those early teething challenges and uh, they're going to find solutions. That's really what it boils down to. So like any technology change, whether it's a software system, it could be a hardware system. You know, so when I say hardware, I'm typically referring to more of a mechanical type system. You're really changing people's day-to-day job. Some people embrace those changes and some people uh, probably not prefer to see their daily process change. So how do you do it? You really have to support people. You have to make sure that you're communicating effectively, that you try to build alignment through the process and, and support those on a daily basis. What we've tried to do is we've tried to make sure that we take some of the more challenging things and we're going to pull them out of the daily ops crowd. And we're going to try to develop those workflows. And we're going to try to validate some of the systems before we give them to the people who have a a schedule that they have to stick to. We've got our daily acres that have to be planted, our daily acres that have to be harvested. And all the people that work in that world, you know, the best thing you can give them is a well-defined system that works. It has to be reliable. Some of those comments probably come from, uh, you know, looking through the lens of what we do in the sense we, we plant and harvest 52 weeks a year. So there's really no downtime to take a crew or take a department and say, hey, you've got kind of the margins of your activities and you're going to play with this thing for a period of time. So we've broken that out. We have different groups that do those things. And then once we feel like we're ready, then we'll we'll support and integrate those things with those groups that are doing the day-to-day, week-in, week-out, the ops group. But it is a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Can we switch gears a little bit? Sure. I'm really curious just about the implications of water throughout Bakersfield. And then also if there's how you guys explore other production regions, technologies, anything specific to water. Yeah. So I'm, so just out, out of the gate, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a water specialist. So uh, I, I, I think I understand some of the larger concepts that are changing in California, Sigma, et cetera, but we have water affairs people and people who are specialists in this area. So that they could probably correct me if I try to get into detail on these things. But, but I know that, you know, California ag is under pressure. Western ag is under pressure. So, so how do you do that? What does it look like? Well, you, you diversify geographically. And we've done that. We have regions out in the uh, Southeast now, out in Florida and Georgia. We have an operation up in the Pacific Northwest, up in the uh, Pasco region. And, you know, we're continually looking for, and we have a great leadership team that's very skilled in this area. You know, our executive team, you know, our president CEO, Jeff Huckabee, he's done a really good job of keeping his finger on the pulse and understanding how the uh, production dynamics change, and then also the customer dynamics too, in a sense, uh, what markets need to be supported, what's it look like when you're uh, taking into account proximity of those markets you're supporting, and then also things like water. The water dynamic here in California is substantially different than the water dynamic in Florida. It's just worlds apart. So those things tend to drive the decision-making process, and you know, being nimble is a big part of the operation, making sure that we we have our core operation here in the western part of the U.S., so California. I mean, all of our uh, carrot processing plants are here in the Bakersfield area, although we do have a plant up in the Pacific Northwest now, and you know, we're, we're continuing to diversify that. But the core of the operation is still here in the San Joaquin Valley. But, but uh, staying static is not a good way to stay relevant, and we need to make sure that we're mitigating those challenges when it comes to California water. On the uh, technology side, it's really a, a matter of monitoring and automation in the sense, how can you become more efficient with a scarce resource? And if you look at all the inputs that go into the farm, my viewpoint is, is uh, the farm is just a range of inputs and you're trying to generate the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got water, you've got land, you have uh, seed, uh, labor hours, et cetera, tractor hours. Uh, these are all a bunch of inputs that you combine. And, and ultimately they 
have to generate a good outcome. And so if you have those scarce inputs, which water is one of, you're going to find a way to manage it most effectively. And some of these new technologies are helping with that. Are you also, as you move to different production regions, are you guys also evaluating, including different crops in the portfolio? Well, we're a 52 week producer and our, our, you know, again, I, our sales team could probably speak more eloquently on this, but we have our core products. There may be a few seasonal products that I'm not familiar with, but my understanding is, is that, we, that we're still producing our core products across all operating regions. You know, our model was really based on trying to deliver to our customers 52 weeks a year, making sure that they had a, a one-stop location where they can come for all of their needs. But yeah, our, it may change a little bit, but if it changes much, I'm not, I'm not that aware of it. Jeff, put your, uh, or keep your new technology hat on. All of us on this particular call or episode, you know, we've uh, hung around the ag tech space for a few years and it seems like, you know, there's a certain maturation has taken place. And uh, I certainly don't think this is, uh, you know, we're, we're at the end of the road by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems to me there's kind of a settling in, you know, okay, what's out there? How do you polish the stone, so to speak, and let's, sure. let's get the things that are in there working and optimize them, et cetera, et cetera. But I had to laugh when you said, well, I'm the new technology guy. And all of a sudden I get a bunch of emails and phone calls <laughs> and everyone's bombarding me. So uh, who better than you to go, what's next? I, I mean, yeah. we've talked a lot about automation. You hearkened back to the era of all things software. Where are we heading? What's going to be new? Is it going to be kind of features of technology and that's where the innovation is going to come from? Or, you yeah. know, is there an outlier out there that, you know, all of a sudden CP3O is going to enter the game sure. and take care of everything? What, sure. what do you see happening? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. What I'm going to say may sound highly theoretical, but I guess things that are off in the future that you're heading towards can sound that way at times. So the maturation really, I think, revolves around a vision processing and um, driving processes as a result of those technologies. We're seeing things now that are, they're operating at a very high level. They're very well integrated. And the uh, the software probably is operating at a higher level than the uh, robotics, because that's what I see. And I think you'll see a maturation of robotic side eventually. And you know, maybe that dynamic will play back and forth, meaning that the dynamic that I'm referring to is, is what's more mature, the software or the robotics. But that's what I see happening. So what's the far out there future and concept? I think after talking with many people and, and having different discussions, it really is kind of that all-knowing system. So it probably comes back to software again. And, you know, if you go into, you know, I can sit here and say, we've got a range of inputs on the farm and we're trying to generate good outcomes. You know, what's a good outcome? A good outcome is uh, we're delivering a quality product. We're delivering it on time and we're, we're mitigating the volatility in the process. That volatility is really weather-based, geography-based, pest-based, et cetera, all those things. And, I would argue that by definition, we're, we're talking about complex systems, the complex system in the sense that you have high number of variables, you have limited insider visibility into the system, and then you have limited ability to interact with some of those variables. So if you could optimize the whole thing across the board, top to bottom, and I think there, there are companies working on this, then what does that mean? It means that you ultimately are directing the day-to-day decision-making at a higher level than what potentially a management team does. And if you take a farming organization and what's their core function, you know, farming organization, their core function is really those uh, day-to-day decisions, the management, the execution, and you're orchestrating those inputs and your day-to-day management execution is what yields that good outcome, which is that crop. And if, uh, you know, lately some of the discussion is if you, if someone can ultimately generate this all-knowing system that can take all these variables, this, this complex system and generate a better outcome. And what does that mean? I mean, does that, does that become the farming company? You know, what does that mean? So 
you know, I'm not a computer science guy. There's a lot of people that understand this, uh, the details of these things that I'm alluding to. They understand them at a different level than I do. I just have rudimentary knowledge in this area. But it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, stepping back again, uh, you know, the vision, the robotics, the uh, driving process based off those things. We, we see those things in the field. They've been in the field now for many years. Dennis, you mentioned it, thinning, weeding. We're seeing really, really amazing things with weeding now. It's really incredible. You know, and it really is a matter of the vision is operating at a very high level. The precision, the processing is there. And uh, you're seeing some of these new modes of interaction. And it's really exciting to see. That will continue. I think that trend across weeding and thinning, that was a early, really kind of a, I don't know, that kind of the best fit for some of those technologies. And then I think we'll progress into harvest and continue to develop those things. Dennis, you, you know, and Candace, you may have heard me use my, uh, my dumb tech thing before in the sense, I think, I think tech is great, but at the same time, I think really elegant mechanical design can solve a lot of problems too. And so you layer in these things, you layer in good mechanical design, you layer in with some of the best technology. And I think that's where Harvest is going to go. Well, I think uh, a little bit of me does protest too much on your part. You know, what, what do I know? There are people uh, smarter than me, except what I do know is you're one of the gatekeepers. So they got to get through you to get, to get to the field. So uh, it's, you know, so what you think is important, uh, you know, before I let Candace jump in, you know, all of this kind of begs the question a little bit, and it's probably a completely separate conversation. You know, what, what's the new workforce look like, you know, because uh, that's got to be executed. And then the other thing we spend some time on, and, and I like what you said earlier about, you know, the team remains important. And you shared with me several weeks ago now that, you know, you were deploying automation uh, with one of your minor crops, but there were two crews and everyone has this tendency to think automation is, uh, you know, going to take the place of people and it didn't. And in fact, the other crew that wasn't using the automated harvesting uh, or wasn't involved in that, they wanted to be on that because they made more money. And I think, I think that's an important story. So just from my perspective, before I let Candace kind of finish it up, general thought about skills, where do you get them? And uh, ultimately, this seems like we're heading towards a win-win. We just got to get there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, those are great points. The demands for people and skills continues to change. The systems are becoming more complex. And the, uh, the integration of these systems uh, throughout the operation will continue to increase. And as, the, as that integration increases, uptime is critical. Downtime is a real problem, especially when you build in this the reliance on these systems. So I think we're working towards a world where we're, we're providing better jobs, where people engage at a higher level. We're not trying to get rid of jobs. What we're trying to do is we're trying to, we're trying to build efficiency and we're trying to give people a better working environment, build the ergonomics in, put them in a better position. And that's what I was referring to when we were talking about some of these systems in the sense that you can build a system and you've got a, a range of functions that have to be performed on a system. And if you can take those employees and you can put them in a spot where they have, a, they have better working conditions, set them up for efficiency, and then provide a, uh, maybe they do have an opportunity to make a little bit more money. You know, that, that is a win-win across the board. And it's really partnership. You can't run a good organization without people. And we want to make sure that we retain the best people. We want to make sure that we build an organization where people want to be, and we want to make that stick. It's not a matter of developing technology and, and uh, going the other direction. You know, we want to make sure that people are plugged in. They feel like they have control, meaning that they have some influence and that they're playing a role and, uh, and that they want to be here. I don't see technology being mutually exclusive from those objectives. These things can complement each other. Dennis, do you have any uh, last thoughts or questions before we uh, finish up with Mr. Morris? I think one of my last questions is around, you talked about your journey through the local colleges and then on to Cal Poly and to pick up on the subject of the next generation too. How are you guys engaging with within the community colleges 
you know, where are you pulling your talent from? Sure. So we, we pull talent from a range of uh, programs. I have some tremendous staff here that came straight from San, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And uh, we've got a couple of great guys there, our, uh, our key project engineers, and they're really day-to-day solving problems, uh, recommending solutions, and helping, helping to uh, deploy those systems. You know, again, you cannot do what we do without the right people. And then take the JC level, so the junior college level here in Bakersfield, they have a, uh, they have a new program up there where they're doing uh, industrial technology, industrial training, and uh, they're giving people the chance to come out of a junior college. They're uh, trained in uh, technical automation solutions, and they're ready to hit the ground running. So our, I know our uh, our shops are working through that program. Uh, we've looked at it. I think they have a similar program up there with up in Salinas. Aren't they doing that up there at uh, Hancock, Dennis? Yes. Yeah, yep. there are comparable programs yep. up there. Yeah, but, so, uh, but Bakersfield has really been a leader in that. I mean, they've even offered a four-year degree. You know, community colleges have the option of a, a few four-year degrees. And so Bakersfield's correct. been a real leader. Yeah, correct. So we're fortunate. I mean, the, you know, the San Joaquin Valley here, we're, we're really a, kind of the boots on the ground. I mean, you know, nobody comes to the San Joaquin Valley for vacation. You know, if you come here, you come here to work, you come here to uh, to get things done. And if that's your world, it's a pretty practical world and, and you want to do a good job. So it, it really fosters a, a type of person, a type of engagement and type of uh, motivation to engage and, and really solve problems. And it's something that I'm, I've enjoyed being part of. And, and there's still just tremendous, amazing young people out there who they just want a chance. So you give them a little bit of a uh, technical background and bring them in and turn them loose, uh, support them along the way, help them gain skills. And, uh, you know, everybody should improve. And that becomes part of the program too. It's not just technology. The people side of it is extremely important also. You know, Jeff, I always like passing through Bakersfield to see you, but, you know, I keep noticing the Buck Owens uh, deal off the off of 99. So there are other reasons to come to Bakersfield. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure the Chamber of Commerce would want to point that out. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, there are a few things. It's uh, maybe some people do come here for vacation. But yeah, there you go. Make sure well, you do it on the margins of summer. Don't come in, yeah. Don't that's come right. in July or August. Yeah, no, that's a late, that's a late fall or winter deal. So right. anyway, Candice, I think, uh, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed our visit with Mr. Morrison. It's been so nice to see you again, Jeff. Thank you yeah. for your time. Yep, Jeff, good to, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, let us hope the uh, dog days of summer uh, end quickly for us all. <laughs> They'll be on their way out here pretty quick. Good. And, and Jeff, great, great to see you. And, uh, you know, like I said, you're one of the gatekeepers in this deal. You know, people are talking about the things you do. So FYI, they're keeping an eye on you. So you're one of the leaders of the Ag Tech Pack. So thanks. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Great. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Candice. Great to see you guys. You're welcome. Candice, why don't we do this again next week? I will be here. Thank you, Dennis. I look forward to that. Thanks for joining us for Voices of the Valley. And as we just threatened, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast, brought to you today by Reedley College. To learn more about Reedley College's Agriculture and Natural Resources program and the courses offered in ag technology, food safety, and plant science, you can visit reedleycollege.edu.